Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our conversation, In Conversation, the podcast where I speak to women's health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out about what they do and how their story can support you through modern motherhood. Let's get started, shall we? Hi, guys. I hope you're having a good week so far. I love Thursdays. It's just so close to Friday, which is just basically the weekend. Um, But before we get to the weekend, we do have um, an episode for you and one that I'm really, really excited to kind of share with you. Um, In this episode, I speak to a wonderful woman called Rose Claridge, who is a single gay parent to her three and a half year old daughter, Charlie. And we talk about Charlie in the episode. And when we do, we sometimes call her Mouse. Um, A Mouse was born using an anonymous sperm donor. Now, this is a story into motherhood that I'm not at all familiar with, or at least I wasn't at all familiar with. Um, before speaking to Rose and I don't think it's one that's particularly widely shared so I'm really really grateful that Rose was able to talk to me share her story and kind of be so open and honest about everything that she went through Um, and we talk about the process of sperm donation and her feelings towards being a mother um, as well as the importance of having a support system of friends and family around you which is key um, for for anyone really. And we also touch on what she would like to see in terms of support for the LGBTQ parenting community. It's a really, really interesting listen. I really appreciate Rose's openness and honesty and I hope you enjoy her story. So sit back, relax and have a listen. Rose, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Yeah, well, Good. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to t- speak to me. Um, you have a really, really interesting story um, and I can't wait to kind of get into it and share it with our listeners. Um, why don't we start with a question that I've actually never really asked anyone before. Um, but did you always know that you wanted to be a mother? Um, I think so. It's a really difficult one to answer. I, I don't ever remember not wanting to be a mother. Um, and uh, as I got older, it became more of a stronger feeling. I think I probably always did. I was sort of the, the kid that spoke to the adults, not the other children. Um, and sort of was very much like, I'll help with the washing up kind of like vibes from what I remember anyway. I'm sure my mum would probably tell a different story. But um, yeah, so and I yeah always wanted to babysit my younger cousins. And I'm not sure I was that interested in my little brother, but that's, you know, siblings. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that... Um, yeah, I'd, I've always wanted to have kids. And you said that, that 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 feeling kind of just got a bit stronger as you got older. Was there a specific age that you got to where there was a sort of turning point? Yeah, I would say sort of um, mid-20s, probably 24, 25, when it sort of became overwhelming. And that that's kind of what pushed me to do it, really. Um, I got uh, probably about, yeah, about 25, 26, and it sort of became overwhelming I think sometimes um well for me I I mistook the want of a, for a relationship 
to be directly linked to having children and I put all this pressure on like I have to go dating and I have to do these things because I, I want a baby and I want to um do that soon so I have to do these things and actually uh when I sat down and really thought about it it, it wasn't about having a relationship I just wanted kids um and at that point I uh didn't really mind how whether I didn't I didn't have an overwhelming urge to carry a baby um I looked into adoption for a bit um but bizarrely uh it was easier to uh go the route of IUI than it was to adopt which um you know I understand why uh but I think it, it is a shame and I would still I would still like to adopt in the future but um sort of have to be a lot more financially stable whereas uh if you've got the cash to buy sperm effectively you can do that so so uh yeah it's a, it was a funny one but um yeah that's definitely what pushed me to do it it sort of became uh, it got to the point where every thought was about children like it was constant um gosh that's amazing and actually i think when you say 25 i i think that's still quite young but i think i'm <laughs> i i'm the i'm the person that's never never really desperately wanted them. So even now I'm a bit like, you know, you, my husband and I are trying, but I'm still not like desperate for children. And so when you say 20, and I'm 33, when you say 25, I'm like, God, I wasn't, wasn't even, couldn't even take care of myself, let alone somebody <laughs> else. Yeah. Um, but obviously it's completely different for everyone. Um, and it's just so interesting that you felt you you have those feelings and such strong urges as you say from such a young age um so you touched on this in terms of the different routes that you looked at i guess but i wanted to really understand sort of why you decided to use a sperm donor um and and was it just a question of money or was it just that the process was was easier versus adoption were there other streams that you could have looked at and then at what point were you like okay this is what i'm going to do um it was uh i do a lot of reading i'm a big reader i do a lot of research and i read a lot um and actually the point where i decided it was difficult to choose uh to make that step i went from um having all these thoughts in my head and wanting to do it desperately wanting to do it but sort of being quite um embarrassed about wanting to do it it felt like a, a very big thing to to admit that um i want children i think especially women it's quite it feels embarrassing to say i want a relationship i think that's always looked down upon um and uh there's quite a lot of negative negative stereotypes um with women being desperate and like needing a boyfriend and that sort of thing and i sort of pride myself on being quite a strong independent woman so um and i think those those feelings are quite mixed with admitting that i wanted a child um and actually uh for me it was uh i took the step to talk to my mum about it and a couple of my friends um and it was really it was really when my friends and family said if that's what you want to do then you should do that why would you not do that if that's what you think will make you happy then that's what you should be doing and it was like a, a huge rush of relief a huge rush of relief like oh i'm not losing my mind like this is an okay thing to feel um, and so then I did loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of reading, which I'd been doing a lot of anyway, but just in private um, and talking to friends and family about it. And uh, the uh, looking into adoption, you need or my understanding of it at the time was that I needed an empty bedroom, which I knew that I wouldn't be able to afford to rent 
to go from renting a one bed to a two bed that quickly. Um, and it felt like there was a time pressure to it for me. I don't know. And I knew that um, it could take a long time and whether it was adoption or, or not, it could take a long time. And um, I, it didn't look like financially I would ever be accepted uh, onto the adoption process at that point in time. So then I started looking into sperm donors, talking to friends about it. I have, I've, I always like, even when I talk about wanting a second child, I have lots of friends say, I'll do it. Or like my partner will do it. Or like, don't you know that this couple here, they don't want kids, but they'd love to like, and I'm like, and it's lovely. It's really lovely. Um, but when you look into it, it's very complicated. I didn't want to complicate any of my friendships. Um, I also didn't want to, if you look at the finance behind it, my opinion was that by the time you have had the free donation from a friend, but you've paid for all the tests that everybody needs to have um, and all of the things that come along with that. And then on top of that, the legalities and, and having like lawyers write up papers and stuff to, to make sure that everybody's on the same page with, with um, guardianship and that kind of thing. By the time you've done all that, <laughs> it kind of costs the same as just, going to a sperm bank and that's all dealt with for you. So it just felt like the right and simple option to do where I felt um, legally everything was how I would want it to be. Okay, so, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, I'm get... not talking about it. I talked to everyone about it. So um, got, like... the, whole, the whole spiel. Well, I'm just gonna go step back a little bit to unpick some of the things that you said earlier so you said that you were you know quite embarrassed about stuff at the beginning and you did a lot of the research on your own how long were you thinking about it how long were you reading more privately before you then opened up to people um i would probably say casually looking for a year like it would be something i I did like, if you opened your phone and you were like, hmm, I wonder what was happening in the news. I'd be like, hmm, I wonder if, if I did this, would this happen sort of thing? Um, and then I would probably say quite intensely for about six months. Um, Gosh, so that's, that's quite a long time to be thinking about this, this thing quite seriously on your own. And thankfully, you, you mentioned that you, you, know, you, you told your mum and your, you know, your family and friends have been really supportive. Were they supportive right from the start or did it take a little bit more sort of explaining or did you feel like you needed to justify stuff in any way? Or were you just, were they just from the get go, like we, you know, we want you to be happy as you said and, and to do, do whatever it, do whatever it takes to do that. I, I would say that um, everybody was very logical about it. Everybody was very supportive, but um, not cautious, but wanted, to, I think they were, open to discussing it with me so that I felt like I was doing the right thing um I think initially a lot of the chats were so how would this work and do you understand this and and but that was more intrigue on their part I think more than anything like how does this kind of work um and then uh with my best friend I was very much like cool like hit me with it like what's your genuine thoughts like where can you foresee problems like I was thinking about this is that and we're very very honest with each other um and she went through the whole process with me um including being my birthing partner so um yeah we had some very frank conversations about 
um, all of everybody's worries and stuff. Um, but yeah, generally very supportive. Good. And what, you know, worries genuinely usually means that people just care and love you. So that's, you know, always a good thing. Um, so like, like, um, your friends and family, you took them through the process step-by-step to understand. I'd like you to, if you don't mind, just maybe tell us in a a nutshell if you can the kind yeah. of the steps that you took once you decided okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna I'm gonna find a donor how what what did you do did you google yeah. <laughs> like everyone goes to google googled a bit basically googled a bit um joined a couple of um facebook groups um you have to bear with me because it was about four or five years ago so it's a it's all a bit of a blur um joined a few Facebook groups and just did lots of reading really. Um, and then, um, because I was working in London at the time, looked, um, into the London women's clinic and the London sperm bank, just because that felt logical. Um, and made an initial inquiry with the women's clinic. And at the time, I think it was about 250 pounds to have like a, a, a fertility basic scan. Um, where they just looked at my ovaries and just told me like what they thought, um, which was sort of interesting actually, because she said that my ovaries, <laughs> this is hilarious to talk about with you, but anyway, my ovaries were um, what they would expect to see in a slightly older woman and perhaps that there was a level of hormone in the, it, so like a biological clock literally going, you need to have children. Like they, there was a level of that that potentially was biology which I thought was super interesting yeah that's amazing yeah that's amazing yeah yeah that really like blew me away when she said that did that kind of how did that make you feel uh it made me feel like uh I was right (laughs) that sounds crazy but like I was like I, I felt very vulnerable I think about a lot of it and and uh that sort of, yeah, gave me a bit of security. Like, yeah, I told you guys, I told you I was right. I, yeah, I don't think yeah. that's crazy at all. I think, it, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd been like validated with, your, with, the, with the kind of urges and the, the passion that you'd felt about, about having children. Yeah. Okay, so, you had, so, so you, had the, you had the first appointment, you had scans and stuff. Then what happened next? So then um, uh, you can follow, they, they have lots and lots of um, really easy like packages on the, on the women's, women's clinic and I'm sure all fertility clinics have a similar thing, um, which is basically a brochure. Um, and you, there's a lot of different packages. You can have different hormones, you can have IVF, you can have IUI, different stages of things. You can have um, varying degrees of invasive treatment um, depending on how how either how much how much help you need or how much um assistance you want to have to try and get it to work that time um so they suggested to me that they could put dye in my fallopian tubes to see if they were blocked or not um i could have hormones to make sure that i was producing more eggs that kind of thing um but i i think i'm pretty sure that she said something to me like based on my age and the scan and stuff that um, it wasn't necessary to do anything like that first time around if I didn't want to. However, it would increase my chances. Um, but I sort of, at that point in time, uh, was like, do you know what? I am only 25, 26. I think I was 26 at that point. There is time. <laughs> and if it doesn't work first time, I'll save up again. 
and I'll do it again. And I, the reason I think I started so early, I say early in air quotes because I, you know, everyone's opinion varies on that. Everybody tells me I was very young for this day and age, but um, in my head at the time it was early, but I thought, do you know what? It's not gonna work first time. Statistically, it's just not. So I could do this again and again and again, and it might not work until I'm, you know, 40. So um, I thought, well, I'll start with the least invasive thing because that was what felt easiest and made me feel most comfortable. And then we'll go from there. So I literally went onto the London sperm bank website, um, had a little flick through the brochure and bought some sperm. <laughs> okay. I could stop you there a second. This is yeah. where it gets really interesting. Yeah. So what does this brochure look like? What is the kind of profile for donors? How much information is there? And were you looking for stuff in particular, do you think? Um, yeah, I think I sort of uh, probably from, I don't know, I, I bounced around for ages and ages and ages about whether I cared or what I wanted and stuff. And so I think like, I think like most people would do, I sort of went for, you know, sounded quite healthy, sounded fairly bright. Um, and then beyond that, I just went for somebody who sounded like a male version of me because I just thought I just thought at the time I don't know because my opinion has molded since I've had Charlie about this but I just thought at the time do you know what it's going to be tricky because you don't have a dad but not only do you not have a dad but it, you were conceived in a slightly different way from most people <laughs> um so if you also then don't look like me and you have people asking more questions about adoption and things like that is that going to be harder for you and um she yeah i mean yeah so i sort of went for blonde caucasian similar height to me i think i went slightly more athletic than me because i struggle with my weight and i it's the bane of my existence um but yeah, so the, the catalogue, it doesn't, I th it's actually slightly different. I had a look recently because we were talking about it and um, it's slightly different now. There is a bit more of a description of what you might look like. But when I used it, it was very much like hair colour, eye colour, height, highest form of education, um, religious or not. Um, a few bits about, about like medical history and stuff and what tests they've had through the clinic and what they have and haven't got I think um like whether they're allergic to things that kind of thing but recently I looked um and it said a little bit more like has a has sharp facial features and there was a little bit more about like physical appearance but there isn't photos in the UK there isn't uh, my understanding is there is in the US but there isn't in the UK um so yeah that was that was that cool so great that's that's really interesting that um first of all that they show photos in some countries and, and not in others mm. um okay so you chose you chose your donor you mentioned you at the beginning that you you did it through iui right but there is an option i think it must be to then do it through ivf further down the line if you wanted yeah. um and you so you you had the insemination and you got pregnant first time round, didn't you yeah which just feels insane <laughs> It still feels insane now. It felt insane at the time. It's yeah. I just think like when you look at the statistics, it's just ridiculous. I actually sometimes feel guilty about it, especially when I have friends going through fertility treatment. 
it's hard to say to someone it worked first time for me if they ask it's very I I don't volunteer it up very frequently um because it can be incredibly painful for people and we were very lucky just was very simple I went I went to the to the clinic on my lunch break um yeah (laughs) I mean yeah I mean you know so much of just any way of 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 you know, conceiving is, is so much of it is down to luck and timing and things like that. Um, How would you mind me asking all in all, based on the the least invasive treatment that you had, how much was the, the whole thing cost you? I think it was between three and four grand. Um, I had a recent blood test and they allowed me to use that. So I think that took a bit of money off and that kind of thing because you have to have quite a lot of um, tests beforehand um but yeah I think it was between three and four grand in the end um if you but that was because I chose uh one donation you can choose to have like they do like multi-buy effectively where you can get like buy two or three donations and then it's slightly cheaper and things like that. I was like, do I pay another two grand for a second vial of sperm that I may not use? It's, it's, it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. It doesn't ever get less bizarre. Yeah, I can imagine. And lol about the bundles. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's so bizarre. Buy one, get one free. Oh dear. Okay. Well, um, Okay, so so that's the whole process. Thank you, thank you for kind of walking us through it. If somebody is listening to this and thinking, okay, I, I want to start or sort of considering, what's the one thing that you wish you'd known about or wish somebody had told you before you started the whole thing? Um, I would say don't be embarrassed or afraid about the process. It's important to surround yourself with support. Um, and I think I left it a little bit longer than I should have done thinking about it on my own. Um, luckily for me, I think by the time I'd started the process, I'd sort of had verbal diarrhea about it. It was like I'd held it in for so long that by the time I started talking about it, it's like everyone, every, like people on the street, would just be like, you'll never guess how I got pregnant. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I would say that don't be embarrassed. Don't think that, that, it's a resort that you've taken because of other things not working out. That's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you want to do it. Um, and that's what's important. It's not what other people think. Um, it's, a, it's only, only what you think in the situation that's important. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. Um, I want to talk to you about Charlie. You did say Charlie. I didn't know if I should say Mouse or Charlie. Yeah, um, I, I would do it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, you know, talking to her about her father, does she, you know, she's three and a half. Yeah, she doesn't have a father. Right. She's a donor. So how does she, you know, is she starting to ask questions? I mean, I don't know if it's... Um, So she doesn't actually ask questions. She's a very bright three and a half year old, but she doesn't seem that fast. If you say to her, do you have a dad or someone says to her do you have that she says no I've got a donut um and which is adorable and I refuse to correct it <laughs> never ever correct it oh my god right. that is just delightful yes um but we do have a couple of books um that I think mostly a couple of them um 
I actually got a couple of recommended ones from Facebook groups and things like that. Um, some of them were a bit ropey and I actually ended up donating them to charity shops. I was like, oh, that's weird. Um, and also they vary a lot. You can get, um, you know, same sex ones. You can get IVF ones. You can get very specific ones. You can get lots of different blended families and different versions of things. I've got a couple that aren't quite our family, but they do explain the process of going to the doctor and buying sperm effectively um, asking for a gift from the doctor and that kind of thing there's one that's called the p that was me um and he says how did i come to be um and so we read those um she has a more understanding about um reproduction than other children her age i, I don't know many children her age that know about sperm and eggs but she said something about <laughs> one of her animals the other day growing sperm and eggs in their tummy to have a baby um so there there is like i'm actively teaching her about it i don't i didn't i decided that i didn't ever want a point in her life where she didn't know about it i didn't want like a big sit down and a big like by the way kind of thing um so everybody talks about it as much as it comes up naturally uh the, i mean she's three so the other day she did say like go to the shops and buy me a dad which was very funny um but that was because i wouldn't let her jump in the puddles in her socks so you know <laughs> um but yeah she sounds, she sounds totally awesome i i really want to meet her one day <laughs> yeah um i wanted to ask you also about um sort of financial planning um you know did you have to do much, obviously, before she came along as a kind of single earner household? Um, you know, actually, why don't you tell us what you do first? Um, so I did work in theatre. I was a wardrobe mistress uh, in the West End. I um, was self-employed when I had Charlie. Um, the statutory maternity for self-employed folk is not great um, because I was self-employed that was all I was entitled to um, I sort of saved enough for a bit of maternity leave I should have saved more I have I do regret not planning uh, more thoroughly with my finances I think um, I'm still playing catch-up um, I mean don't get me wrong she's totally worth it and I would play catch-up until the day I die um, but I, I could have, I, I didn't think I would get pregnant first time. So yeah, it, it did really take me by surprise. Um, so I was on maternity leave for four months and then I went back to work, uh, when she was four months old, full time, um, which in theater, I mean, in a tech week, it can be more than 50 hours. Um, it was really tough. I was breastfeeding at the time and I was pumping in the toilets in between cues and like, and I had to stop breastfeeding effectively because my body stopped producing milk because I wasn't with her very much and I wasn't able to produce enough while I was at work. And, um, which again, I sort of, I think I, um, I regret it a little bit. However, I know that the human race have a tendency to sort of reminisce uh and think about things in certain ways but i do remember being desperate to go back to work i do remember um getting a bit sort of stir crazy on my own in the house with a baby um 
so I think I would probably have liked to have waited until six months or maybe eight months, like a bit longer would have been better. But I just think that the finances just weren't there for me to stay at home much longer. Gosh, yes, that must have been so hard. I mean, I, I obviously I don't have children, but my, my best friend just had um, two twin girls. And, you know, she's saying that, you know, she feels guilty when she's at home for not being at work and she feels guilty at work when she's, you know, not at home with them. So I imagine... Um, uh yeah that must have been really tough and four months is you know early to 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 go back to work you know in the in the grand scheme of of things so um who was with her at home looking after her when whilst you were at work oh we had a google document we had a google document with a spreadsheet on it and uh mostly friends and family or or um babysitters or childminders that are connected to me in some kind of familial way um so yeah it would sort of be a bit of a rotor really it would be sort of oh mum will have her this afternoon and this evening and put her to bed and then my aunt and uncle will have her this evening and then my brother's other half and then my cousins and like and I'm lucky and I've got a big family and they all helped out and then on top of that I have had lots of friends who I mean two of my friends basically took a shift each week um yeah loads and loads of support but a different person every day sometimes two different people some people would do um sort of a, a the three o'clock until five six o'clock bits the people who worked until six would do like a seven until bedtime bit for me um sometimes my mum would come here and put her to bed and then sit here until eight o'clock and then a babysitter would take over and do like the eight till midnight bit um it was a full-time job scheduling the childcare. Um, it was tough for, for many reasons, logistically, and also worrying about whether or not it was the right thing for her. However, I think it had a really positive impact on her, actually. She's very chatty. She's got a huge vocabulary for her age. She is a real, like, people person, and I think... She, I don't know if she would be like that if she hadn't, if she wasn't so used to being with lots of different people. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, the minute you said spreadsheet, it was like <laughs> my ears. I love a spreadsheet. Um, but amazing that you have that support, that you had that support system. You know, when you needed it, that's that's so wonderful. And as you say, I'm sure it's only had sort of beneficial impacts on her character and the way that she is and as you say she's so chatty and things like that that's um I'm, I'm so I'm so pleased thank you yeah she, we always you know the um the proverb the uh, it takes a village, takes a village. Child. we she's called the village baby quite a lot just a little bit queer and a little bit like <laughs> a little bit proverb but um yeah she's quite often referred to as the village baby I love that. It's so fitting. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you've been finding lockdown. I mean, things have eased up now, but you know, theatres are closed. So how have you been um, juggling everything? Have you, been, have you been able to find work elsewhere? How, how has that, how's it all been for you? So um, I was very, very lucky. Um, I was working uh, for a wonderful theatre company that I really loved working for. Um, and I was furloughed. For, I was furloughed until three weeks ago. So um, I basically had a wage the whole time. And then anything that um, sort of 
it was my basic wage, like a percentage of my basic wage. So um, anything that was sort of missing from that universal credit just about topped up. So it sort of was the, a very similar wage to what I was on. So I'm one of the lucky few. Um, I have very much, and I still have very much put how I feel about, not going to get emotional, how I feel about the theatre industry and what's happening in a box. And I put it over here somewhere and I'm not looking at it and I can't promise that I'm not <laughs> going to look at it for quite some time. Um, so we've just been living in a little bubble. Um, I'm a bit of an education slash child development geek and the, I read a lot about different ways of teaching and different ways of bringing up children, different parenting styles. Um, and I have always done lots and lots of activities with Charlie from a really young age. So I sort of threw myself into that. Um, so we've had themes, we've had like uh, ocean week where we like the house was underwater and you know, we were learning about different animals and writing different animal letters and you know, different artwork and reading different stories. And, and I just really, really enjoy, my living room looks like a nursery school, um, which some days I hate and some days I love. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've sort of been embracing that really and, and, and trying to enjoy that. That um, sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds absolutely <laughs> amazing. Um, gosh, do you have photos? Like, can you share some photos of you? Well, I can definitely send you some photos, but... Um, I don't know if you can see, I'm turning the camera around for you. Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's lots of primary colours and lots of artwork, but yeah, I definitely have some photos that I can, um, yeah, share, share so I can, so I can, um, see, I'd love that underwater stuff and writing letters to fish. I mean, Jesus, that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, talking about sort of parenting styles and, and things like that, you've set up, um, Queer Storytime on Instagram, haven't you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Queer Storytime sort of came about because a friend and I were chatting um, and she was saying, I miss Charlie. And uh, she said, if, if she ha has any favourite stories or something, I could read them to her. And I thought that's a really lovely, lovely idea. And we started chatting about that. And then uh, my best friend and her husband uh, made a couple of videos of them reading the books and then they got more elaborate. And because we're all theatre whether it's actors or backstage there's lots of lesbians who are like going out of their minds and so the videos got more and more elaborate and then they were zooming in on pages and then there was animation and then he got the ukulele out and Paul started writing music for them and then it, it sort of snowballed from there really and then um, lots and lots of the stories in our house are very diverse um, in fact I kind of banned books that have white male leads because she gets them everywhere else so why have them in the house and uh, so we sort of started reading realized there was a theme with the stories that we read at home and that that wasn't really much wasn't widely available or as it should be anyway and so i contacted a few people who perform um and asked if they would be willing to read some books uh we kind of it kind of came from a silly place really that sort of evolved and uh it was just about offering a free video of a storybook, much like you get on CBeebies, um, you get the bedtime stories and stuff, but just a little bit more inclusive and a little bit more diverse um, and hoping that some people would enjoy it 
during lockdown or if it would just give someone five minutes peace yeah well we'll definitely i i, I love them um obviously my <laughs> niece my niece just for context my niece was in the play that you were Ah. so um and actually she did one of the reads um on queer story type so i will keep eyes out and i will definitely um push it to our to our social channels when um when the next one goes up um i wanted to ask you kind of what what you'd like to see in terms of more support for the lgbtq parenting community in particular um it's a real tough one for me i i feel like actually what needs to be done for the LGBT community is to be included in things. I think there's too much of like, this thing is specifically for you. Like, it would just be really nice that when people are on podcasts, for example, they're just not solely talking about heterosexual relationships. I, the amount of podcasts I tune into to listen to for parenting things, and it's mum, dad, mum, dad, mum, dad, mum, dad. And even some of my absolute favorite podcasts are like that and I've emailed a few and they said oh no we we do know we do know we are going to do it it's just our point of reference and so then I think okay so more same-sex couples need to be producing more um you know podcasts books blogs that kind of thing and I think they are but they have a habit of being labeled as then as queer podcasts and it's just I'm a normal person I'm a normal person with a family um and I would quite like to be mainstream. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be like always in a niche section, a niche genre. I just want to be part of everybody else's society. Yeah, that's, and that's totally fair enough. And I will definitely bear that in mind on the podcast and all the things that we do for sure. Um, Rose, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Um, I just have one last question to kind of wrap up. Um, I guess, do you have any advice for um to share with anybody who might be considering either sperm donation or um same-sex parents i would just say surround yourself with love it's just so important and think if if people are giving you a hard time for for being yourself then they're not people that you need to be around um and and hold on to the good ones i think yeah that's really good advice for everyone in general. Yeah. You know, why, why, why not exactly surround yourself with people that just love and support everything that you do? Um, well, I am totally into everything that you are doing and, and you do. I really hope one day to meet Mouse. Um, if you do it again, best of luck. And I hope that we just kind of keep in touch. And I really, really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you Thanks so much. Oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my.